0: Hello and welcome everyone to the Alatia Foundation podcast. My name is Axel Threlfall. I'm editor at large uh, with Reuters based out of London. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Tatiana Mitrova to the program. Dr. Mitrova is a research fellow at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University. She has 25 years of experience in dealing with Russian and global energy markets from uh, February, 2017 to December 2020, she was the executive director of the Energy Center of the Moscow School of Management, Skolkova, uh, a graduate business school. Dr. Mitrova is also a member of the board of directors of the global oil service company, Schlumberger, and a co author of the best selling book, The Eight and a Half Steps How to Live, Love, and Work at Full Capacity. Uh, Tatiana, uh, welcome to the Alatia Foundation uh, podcast.
1: Thank you, Axel. Thank you for the introduction.
0: Um, look, let, let's start with the rather alarming context, which is the gas supply situation uh, in Europe. I've heard you recently say that this is going to become quite painful, even more painful than it is. I've, I've heard you describe it as an existential uh, dilemma. Has, has Europe's energy market ever been so vulnerable, Tatiana?
1: Um, no, I think it is absolutely extraordinary situation and the problem is that it's not only gas market under the pressure. If we recall the situation of the oil crises in uh 1970s, then it, they were actually the problems only on the oil market. Now we have constraints with gas supplies, with oil supplies, with coal supplies. And in Europe also there are problems with the performance of the nuclear industry and due to the summer droughts, uh, actually the hydropower is not available. So it's the biggest energy crisis that we've ever seen in the history.
0: So so you're saying even the alternatives, if they can be put in place, and I, I include the renewables here, in time, if we can ramp these up in time, this is it's still not enough to shift the balance of power, I guess, is what you're saying.
1: Yes, basically. And look, uh, the winter is approaching. We are in the end of September. So I really doubt that it will be possible to add any considerable renewable capac- capacities in the next couple of months. It takes time. So yes, we are facing difficult winter and uh, the resources are not available, so rather tough measures should be implemented in order to provide sufficient energy supplies to the households and to the European industry.
0: OK, and, and and here, of course, we're talking about the demand side of, as well, which is clearly painful to address. And I'll, I'll come on to that. But let, let's just stick with supply for the time being. Uh, and I'd like to get your views on, on a few of these supply pieces. Germany has revealed plans to install, I believe, four floating storage and regasification units in a, in a pretty short space of time. Is is it realistic their plan? When do you think the first of these will be installed and, and and how much work is really required to connect them to a distribution grid and and really get the grid prepared for this winter?
1: These infrastructure solutions, they are helpful, and I think they can be done uh, basically the first two before the end of this year. So it doesn't take that long. revisification capacities can be built much faster than liquefaction capacities. And the problem is that there is no free LNG available on the market. So in order to utilize these terminals, Germany needs new contracts, new supplies, and they are actually you cannot see them on the market. So far, all additional LNG supplies to Europe during the last couple of months, they were coming from Asia because of Chinese lockdowns and uh, decreasing Chinese demand for LNG. But it will not last forever. And this competition with the Asian consumers, uh, they will require additional price premiums from the European consumers. And given the current enormous level of prices, that will be really problematic.
0: And I think I'm glad you said that, because I think this is something uh, that is overlooked. Gas prices were high before this all started, right?
1: Absolutely. A year ago, uh, last August, they've already went through the roof. And that was, I assume, the first signal of this uh, tension, of this conflict, forthcoming, but unfortunately, Europe didn't address uh, this challenge in timely way. So it was not prepared for the constraint on the supply side. It was not prepared to uh, go ahead with a much faster implementation of all the alternatives. And therefore, mm, you know, the production, uh, the, the construction cycle for the LNG industry Uh, which could theoretically replace those missing volumes. It is five to seven years. Mm -hmm. So underinvestment which the world uh, oil and gas industry uh, is facing since 2016, 2017, it is now resulting into the lack of additional of spare uh, liquefaction capacities or any additional oil and gas production capacities. And they cannot be brought on stream Immediately, just because we need them, it will take another five to seven years before these uh, oil and gas will will be able to come to the markets.
0: You 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 talked um, about alternative um, suppliers: Qatar, the U.S., Central Asia. How practical? Tatiana is it for european nations to receive gas from the likes of iran or azerbaijan uh, and 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 let's throw turkey in there as well what role do you think turkey can 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 play in this and how quickly uh, can 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 they offer a solution
1: you know this winter any additional billion cubic meters of gas or any additional million tons of oil or coal will be needed so it's not a choice between different options. We need them all. Um, there are actually some small additional volumes available from Azerbaijan, and I think uh, it is something that is happening already. Azerbaijan is increasing its supplies to the European Union. Iran is participating in these schemes through the swap operation, so these are not direct supplies. East Mediterranean is not actually available now, because the infrastructure is not built, and there are all these territorial disputes between Cyprus and uh, uh, Turkey, so I don't think that it will be resolved in any fast manner. Uh, And uh, North Africa, it is uh, doable to slightly increase supplies, just a few billion cubic meters, But for for you to have the perspective, this winter Europe will be missing approximately 50 billion cubic meters Mm. and they are not on the market, several million tons from the US. Uh, LNG several million tons from Asia, but it is still not sufficient to cover the peak winter demand when actually most of this gas is used not even for the electricity generation, but rather for the heat supplies, and it is very, very sensitive for the population.
0: Um, I, I want to come on to demand um the demand side in a second but one one final question on this supply um i believe and, and you're sitting in cyprus i believe now recently um eni of italy total energies of france began drilling a, a, a an exploration well off the coast of cyprus i believe um wh- what what are the hurdles in the way of gas exploration where you are now and 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 how again how, How much confidence do you have uh, in in this sort of exploration and how timely this can be in, in addressing the situation in Europe?
1: Unfortunately, I'm afraid that it will take quite a long time, not due to the technical constraints but rather due to the geopolitical problems between Cyprus and Turkey. Turkey is pretending to have part of these resources, Cyprus is obviously refusing. And um, so far, actually, the first discoveries here, they were made like 10, 15 years ago and even larger discoveries than those that any uh, is reporting. But they never moved ahead because of these disputes and uh, until there will be some settlement. I'm afraid um, we cannot uh, start construction of any infrastructure, and without this infrastructure, these resources are absolutely useless.
0: Mm. It, you know, of course, it's painful to talk about uh, reopening coal plants in the in the context of the of the Paris Agreement and 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 the momentum that we're seeing in terms of uh, where we're going on the on the on the, the, the climate mitigation. How how, how much Could coal potentially fill the gap temporarily, would you say?
1: It is already slightly filling the gap. The problem is that 40% of the European coal was also coming from Russia. And the coal embargo was the first measure that European Union has introduced back in May. It came into force in the beginning of August, so now there are no coal supplies going to Europe. And therefore coal prices, they also went through the roof and there is no additional coal available on the market. So I'm afraid it's not only constrained from the uh, public perception point of view and from the climate consideration, uh, but also physical availability of coal is not that obvious.
0: Okay, let, let's let's move on to the very, I, I guess, p- politically um, fragile uh, uh, issue of, of, of demand. Which uh, industrial users and which consumers will be prioritized if indeed we get to that? And it looks like we're getting to that quickly.
1: Um, well, first of all, Among the industrial consumers, there are those gas-intensive and energy-intensive industries, which uh, start to suffer first. Uh, Fertilizer producers, already today, 70% of the European fertilizer-producing capacities have closed, 70%. That's Mm -hmm. enormous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chemical industry, uh, Metallurgical sector, I think uh, they are not able to survive this winter without uh, really significant support from the states or some prioritization in this list of consumers attending for gas supplies. And it will be a very painful choice for the politicians whether to try to sustain those industries Or to give them up saying, okay, anyway, we were planning to move them away from Europe. So that's the day when we approach this point. Then there are other industries which are consuming less gas, but which are still very much dependent. So all the automotive uh, sector, uh, cement production and so on. And again, Uh, The share of gas in their final cost is not uh, that huge, but it is still considerable, and when the prices are at the current level, um, it simply it it is loss-making to keep production, Um, because uh, all the margins are eaten by the higher gas prices. So for them, it will be commercial choice whether to close or whether to keep operations and without some sort of governmental interventions, if the governments uh, suppose that this particular industry or this particular plant is critically important for some reasons, either for uh, economic or for social. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'm afraid they will uh, close. Um For the smaller and medium-sized businesses, it's not that much about direct gas consumption. It's rather about electricity prices because uh, of the high, uh, rather high share of um, price of gas in the final price of electricity. I mean, here in Cyprus, uh, normally the bill was like 200, 300 euros per month. In August, we've all received bills of 2,000 euros per month. Yeah, Yeah. And immediately, most of the shops, cafes, and restaurants, they simply switched off air conditioning, Yeah, and that was their adaptation measure. Hmm. I'm not sure what they will do if the prices will go further up, and they will simply not be able to survive in this price environment. So medium-scale business will be also challenged
0: and but i i guess so you know in conclusion here in terms of the prioritization we are talking here about decisions having to be made by governments no longer the free market which is a huge deal right
1: absolutely the whole uh, liberalization process uh in the european union it is now uh, facing indeed existential threat because uh, there is a clear uh, danger for the energy security and uh, this choice between energy security and liberal market model. So far, what I can observe in the statements of the European Commission, the choice is made in favor of preventing energy security. Which means that many of the achievements, many of the decisions on liberal markets will be put on hold uh, for unclear period of time.
0: What, you know, without wanting to get too political and put you on the spot here too much, why, why have governments not why did governments not look earlier at the demand side of this equation, given uh, the uh, rather fragile nature of the relationship with Russia for a long, long time now? Is it does it does it not surprise you that, that these big questions haven't been looked at and addressed earlier?
1: Well, yes, it is surprising for me, frankly, and uh, the uh, risks, uh, they were pointed out many years ago, we were discussing them, Uh, we were writing papers about these threats, so it's not something new. Uh, Probably this temptation of cheap gas, uh, it was stronger than the fears, and probably there is also this psychological component up until now people still prefer to hope for the better and remember in the spring when the whole war began uh the uh discussion uh, inside europe it was okay we hope that it will somehow be settled down and therefore we will not act immediately in a tough way mm. so uh this uh, uh this psychological thing, uh, I think it played very bad game uh, with the uh, European politicians, because if they would have started to act uh, in February, in March, uh, many things uh, were al- could have been achieved already.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the China-Russia relationship. This is something I've talked a lot about recently. Actually, let me, before I ask that, one, how long do you think Nord Stream 1 is going to stay shuttered? And two, are are we looking now at Russian gas flowing more towards China uh, and the power of the, the Siberia pipeline expanded or duplicated?
1: Well, the recent news yesterday about leakage both from Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 and destruction of the pipeline suggests that something uh, really significant has happened. Mm. Uh, There is no official explanation so far, but it looks like some sort of sabotage Mm. or explosion or whatever Uh, it is yet to be found out. But that means uh, that the pipes will not be operational at least for one year. That's already more or less granted. Uh, Anyway, I would say even before this accident, uh, it was not likely that Russia would uh, restart supplies uh, this winter because this is uh, basically the main uh, geopolitical tool left just to play uh, and negotiate with the European Union, uh, in order for Europeans to give up Ukraine. Mm. Um, regarding your question about other flows of Russian gas, first of all, there is still Russian gas going to Europe, not through Nord Stream, not through Yamal-Europe, not through the Finland connection, but through Ukraine. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. It is half of normal flows, but they are going. And TurkStream. So, uh, most uh, of the uh, southern European uh, countries are still receiving Russian gas. And it is very important in the geopolitical game of Kremlin because Hungary, Italy, I mean, the choice of the countries is saying for itself. It's very important uh, for Russia to demonstrate a stick and carrot to the European consumers. If you are more or less supportive, you get cheap gas. If you are not, you are left without gas. Um, And this tool will be definitely utilized uh, this year and the year after. Uh, Diversification of gas flows to China. It is uh, happening since uh, 2019 when Power of Siberia pipeline was built. It is using a different resource base rather than European supplies. So these are different fields, they are not connected. Uh, This pipeline is building up capacity now, and uh, this year most likely it will reach like 20 BCM. For you to compare, uh, historically, Russia's flows to Europe were 140-160 BCM. So it's definitely not replacing European gas exports. In the future, by 2026, uh, this pipeline's capacity uh, is supposed to reach 55 billion cubic meters, which is still one third of historical European flows. And there is a sort of preliminary agreement to build another two pipelines, one from Sakhalin and another one from the Western Siberia. So now it will be really redirecting flows uh, from Europe. Uh, Another 55 billion cubic meters, Uh, but the timeline is not yet clear and there is no uh, agreement between Russia and China so far. And I would say that during this whole geopolitical crisis, China is behaving in a very cautious way, Mm. like staying neutral and not going into any large scale arrangements with Russia so far. Therefore, I'm not sure that the agreement will be reached anytime soon and that the construction will start anytime soon. And then we need again five, seven years for the construction. So there is really no chance for fast redirection of the flows from Europe to Asia.
0: Um, look, in, in in I want to finish up. I've got a where we are on the time. I want to f- finish up with a, a, a I guess a, a bigger question. Throwing it forward, say twenty, twenty five years, um, you know, taking into account everything we're seeing now, taking into account the the transition that uh, the 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 path transition that we've been on for for many many years now. What what are your views if you were to, and I'm sure you are putting thoughts and papers together on the long-term future of gas and the threat to gas by the the transition what 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 does the the context for gas for producers uh, look like 2050 onwards would you say tatiana
1: uh, during the last year, this competitive position of natural gas uh, has actually lost a lot of power because now gas is obviously regarded as a geopolitical tool. Yeah, it is becoming too risky for the importing countries. It is becoming uh, associated with all this blackmailing process. So I think any government or any company will think twice before going into any new long-term contract for gas supplies. At the same time, it became very clear that all our nice uh, slogans and statements that we will uh, improve, uh, will increase the share of renewables, we will implement green technologies, uh, clashing with the reality, it is actually showing that we are not achieving our targets, we are not in line with the 1.5 degree trajectory, we are lagging far behind, there is no sufficient capacity to scale up renewables at the speed needed to comply with the Paris Agreement. And therefore, gas here could serve as a sort of a breach because it is providing, I mean, compared to coal or oil, it is providing lower emissions, not zero, but lower emissions. But again, the problem is that why should you invest now in these gas uh, capacities, gas producing, gas uh, transporting or gas consuming capacities? If anyway, you are planning to phase them out in the next 15, 20 years. Yeah. So from the commercial point of view, it's not clear, probably green gas or gas associated with CCUS capacities, that could be a solution. But so far we do not see really commercial examples, uh, real business models. How can you earn money? And until it will happen, the companies will not invest in the large scale in these pilot projects. Um, look
0: very quickly before we go. I, I mentioned your book, um, The Eight and a Half Steps: How to Live, Love, and, and Work at Full Capacity. Just, I want to, I want to give you the opportunity just to tell us a, a little bit about that, the inspiration behind it, what, what this is about. I mean, th- this is about um, the, the, the role of women in, in, in energy, in, the, in the, the future of energy. Just, just g- give us a sense of, uh, of why we need to pick this book up.
1: It was written only in Russian, so I'm really sorry that most of the readers will not be able to uh, read it. But uh, the key idea, I will start with the first step. Yeah, uh, there are eight steps how to improve your life and achieve your goals and self-realization. And the first step is clarity. First of all, you have to decide what are your values and where are you heading. And it applies both to the personal life strategies and to the strategies of the companies and to the strategies of the states. And I would say this is indeed something that we are still missing on the global scale, this clarity. So that's something I would wish everybody to find.
0: Good. Well, look, I'm glad we uh, managed to get a word in on uh, the book. Uh, Tatiana, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I want to thank you for for your candor, your views on the gas uh, market, uh, a little bit on the role of uh, of women uh, in in the energy markets at the end there. Uh, Thank you to everyone uh, for listening as well. Be sure to keep up to date with uh, all of the Alatia Foundation's work by following the foundation on Twitter and YouTube. I'm Axel Threlfall for Reuters. Until next time.